Hello and welcome to the latest Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom. It is the 2nd of the 2nd, 2022, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Arik Rudnitsky, a researcher at the Israel Democracy Institute and an expert on Arab society inside Israel. Dr. Rudnitsky, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you, Richard. It is my pleasure to join you. I should add that you've been researching Israeli-Arab issues for almost two decades, and your field of expertise includes political, national, and social developments within Israeli-Arab society, Jewish-Arab relations, and government policies on the Arabs in Israel. So I think you're kind of a, a perfect guest this morning to first of all touch on perhaps the most uh, newsworthy issue of, of the week and the, uh, and the Amnesty International report that came out yesterday. One of the most striking um, assertions, claims within the report is that Israel is actually practicing apartheid, not just in the West Bank, but also inside Israel. I wonder what you make of those allegations. Uh, I would be very careful uh, uh, to go after uh, such uh, statements uh, claiming that Israel is an apartheid state, uh, definitely so as far as uh, Arab citizens are concerned here within within Israel borders. Uh, to begin with, we, we should state it very clearly. Well, uh, Israel is not an apartheid state. Uh, this is not the case. Uh, within the Green Line, Arab citizens enjoy full civil rights. They can vote for the Knesset and actually they turn to an integral part of the, of the country's fabric in general. And uh, as far as the uh, Palestinian territories are concerned, well, I, I would take these or such statements and conclusions as a, a symbol of, of uh, some kind of... Uh, a mirror to the Israeli government that it should be very careful uh, other that this this might turn the consequences that turning Israel into some kind of an apartheid state. Uh, I don't think that this is what uh, describes Israel's situation right now. Uh, definitely, law, definitely so as far as the uh, Arab citizens are uh, concerned. Thank you for that. I mean, what I wanted to focus on today, and perhaps we can get started to to reflect back. Um, Israel had a moment three months ago when the government finally passed the budget after three years of, uh, of lacking with the budget. But I think specifically what would be interesting to hear from you is how, how significant was that moment for the Arab public? Was, it, was, was passing the budget significant for them, broadly speaking? I think that the passing of the budget is a significant development, not only to the Arab sector, but to the Israeli society at large. For almost uh, two or three years, Israel lacked a state-approved state budget. Uh, this is a significant issue here because uh, as long as there is no budget, the government cannot operate and the country is, the country is running on, on, on its own momentum. Uh, this is not a healthy development or a consequence, but I think that this is a, a significant development for the Israeli uh, public at large, meaning that the government have, has another year, another chance, uh, to actually uh, take actions on the ground. Now, as far as Arab citizens are concerned, I would say that the uh, state budget includes a significant uh, component in it, uh, namely the um, five-year, another five-year development plan for the Arab sector for the years 2022 to 2026 on the amount of some uh, three billions uh, Israeli, new Israeli shackles now, uh, equivalent to 8.5 euro, billion euros. Now, 
this is unprecedented budget allocated to the to the economic and and development in the Arab sector, in in all all fields of of of, of, of lives of the, of Arab lives, uh, such as education, uh, formal and non-formal crime and violence, infrastructures, transportation, communication, you name it. Uh, I think that this is a significant development in itself, and not less so is significant the fact that the rhetoric of uh, of government officials, uh, namely uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, uh, favoring the development of the Arab sector, I, I would take this also a significant development that uh, goes in parallel with the uh, with the budget allocation in itself. Thank you. I mean, I, I was listening to a recent interview by the leader of Ram, Mansour Abbas, that similar to what you just said, he talked about dozens of kind of intergovernment agencies working on investment projects within the uh, within the Arab society. I mean, you mentioned just now kind of education, formal and informal and infrastructure, um, employment. Can you just give us an idea kind of just to drill down some of the some of the details of what are the highlights of that, of what that investment looks like in those sectors? I think that one of the most significant investments are in the field of education and non-formal education. Now, uh, to, to understand why this is such a significant uh, investment is, I think that we don't have to go back that far. We just need to go back as far as May last year. The events who erupted in throughout Israel and swept the entire uh, mixed mixed uh, neighborhoods where Jews and Arabs live together. Now, uh, I think that the uh, the combination between uh, lack of orientation for the young generation and economic crisis, given uh, the uh, the consequences of the of the pandemic on the Israel society at large, and specifically so among Arab citizens, I think this combination is. Is, is damaging the fabric of the Arab society and the Israel society at large. And I think that for the first time, uh, for the first time, the Israeli government acknowledged the importance of uh, such, uh, I would say, post high school programs to enable high school graduates, Arab high school graduates, that since they do not enroll in military service as much as their Jewish counterparts, I think that the government acknowledges the importance of such uh, programs to enable young, the young Arab generation to, uh, to, further, uh, to further try uh, to gain uh, experience both in education and both in uh, employment uh, before actually they go out to higher education and go to the labor market. I think that this is one of the uh, strategic investments included in this uh, budget, which was recently uh, passed in the Knesset. Just interesting you mentioned that because it was um, one of the aspects of the amnesty report also reflected the fact that the Israeli Arab youths are not serving in the IDF as another example of what they think is, uh, is apartheid inside Israel. I wondered if we just take a slight tangent and you can explain some of the background as to why, um, why Israeli Arabs are not serving in the IDF. Historically. Uh, when the since stated actually since 1948 historically Israeli government exempted young Arabs from integrating and uh, to enroll in military service 
of course, taking the fact that the uh, it, it, morally it would be very hard for them to integrate into a defense force or military force that actually operates against their brethren in in the Arab world, be right. it in, in the in the Palestinian territories, the West Bank, uh, Jordan, Egypt, Syria at the time. So this is these are the historical roots. Now, since then, uh, Druze were uh, integrated, conscripted to. Uh, uh, military service since uh, 1954, and then uh, the 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 IDF forces, the Israel Defense Forces, opened the, their gates for volunteers from uh, Muslim and Christian uh, region from uh, the Arab society. So uh, the option is on the table. Today, the number of Arab Arab volunteers who join the military service is on the rise. Some, some of them has to do with the uh, regional development, since many in the Arab sector, many in Arab society see what happens in the entire Arab, Arab uh, uh, environment. Uh, what happened last uh, a decade ago, the, uh, namely the Arab Spring events and the dismantling of the Arab, uh, the Arab world. And uh, I think that uh, the options are on the table. Uh, this is a one, one of the options that a young Arab can can choose to to enroll into military service, uh, but this is not this does not mean that uh, Arabs should not enroll and they not they do not have the option to do so. So I would say that as far as this uh, this claim is concerned, that Israeli actually practicing an apartheid regime on its Arab citizens, I would say that this is absolutely not true. You mentioned the um, the the uh, disturbances and violence that we saw um, last last May. I just wondered what kind of uh, practical steps have been taken either by the police or kind of, or on a municipal level to make sure that that doesn't happen again and kind of work on, on issues of coexistence in those mixed cities. I think that we have to um, divide or seed or, or distinguish between uh, three levels. Uh, number one is the political level and the cooperation between politicians, Jews and Arabs. Now, since the May events, a new government coalition was formed. It includes for the first time in the state's history and our party. Another one is the, uh, the second level. The second layer is the uh, cooperation between uh, state authorities and official circles within the Arab sector. Uh, in this respect, I would point out to the cooperation between uh, the police, the Israel police at large, and uh, public figures and uh, representatives, uh, our extra-parliamentary bodies such as the Supreme uh, Monitoring Committee for the Arab Sector. Uh, I, so I think this is another layer of, uh, of the cooperation. And on the bottom layer, and one of the most important layers is the cooperation on the ground between, I would say, um, activists, uh, be it uh, social activists or even the municipal political activists on the municipal level, both Jews and Arabs uh, that took seriously and understood the, 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 serious, uh, the serious consequences of the last May 2021 events. I think the integration, the combination between these three layers uh, is, the, is the answer to what happened just uh, almost a year ago. And are you, I mean, it's, maybe it's an unfair question, but I'll ask it anyway. 
Is it, do you think the improvements in this, this new kind of dialogue and coordination means that it can be prevented in the future? Or are you fearful that the, we could see a return to that sort of violence? We must be very careful about that. Um, on the one hand, as I, as I said before, there is an unprecedented political development when our party joined the coalition. I mean, the United Arab List, which is the political branch of the Islamic movement in Israel, who joined actually a right-wing dominated coalition. On the other hand, tension is still evident on the ground. And we saw a manifestation of such tension just a couple of weeks ago in the Negev when, uh, when um, Bedouin protesters uh, came out to protest the, uh, uh, the, the planting of trees on, on, their, on their lands. Now, tension is on the ground. We have to be very careful about that, but I think that the solution is, is in an ongoing and consistent actions on the ground to uh, further deepen this uh, cooperation between on, on the political and social and popular level between Jews and Arabs. And I, I think that one, one, one of the significant factors is, is that the Arab, part, Arab party and Arab members of, of Jewish parties will remain in the coalition that the coalition will have to time, enough time to actually fulfill its full, uh, its full term. Thank you. I'll, I'll come back to some of that, to, to, the, to the politics in a minute. Um, but just another question kind of under the, uh, the, the spotlight recently has been the levels of, uh, of, uh, of crime and organized crime within Arab communities. Um, how do you feel that the police and the security apparatus is working to improve security for all of Israeli citizens? Indeed. The problem of crime, incidents, and violence in the Arab sector is, is I, I would say, the number one problem. We must take into consideration that during the past year, 2021, 113 victims, Arab civilians, were killed in such incidents, in criminal incidents, and this is an unprecedented number. Uh, just to illustrate, uh, seven years ago in 2014, the number was half, uh, more than between 50 and 60, uh, serious in, in itself. But this is a, this has become a, a real pandemic in in the Arab sector. I think that the Israeli police and, of course, government officials. I think that the Israeli police uh, well understands the gravity of the situation. And I think that actions have been taken on the ground, but still needs time to actually see the fruits. And, and the problem is that we hear, we hear too much all too often about crime incidents, and we do not hear enough of solutions or apprehensions or the police taking care of of these incidents, the, the police is not is not standing just 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 uh, uh, standing still. Does not does not do, the police is active, twenty four seven, trying to solve the, the the crime incidents in the Arab sector. But uh, there is a gap between what is what is the still going on on the ground, and the actions to to counter these 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 incidents. 
Do you think that the uh, the Israeli police enjoy the trust um, of of the Israeli Arab sector? Are there enough uh, Israeli Arab policemen? Regretfully, I don't think that the Israeli police enjoy high level of trust among Arab citizens. And and by the way, I don't think that the police enjoy the significant level of trust among Israeli public at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the situation is much more serious among uh, among Arab citizens. Uh, this is on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, the police open its ranks to new either volunteers or full-time job policemen from the Arab sector. Uh, so so the, this is some kind of, of a, a mixed mixed orientation. But but there's a problem, I would say that just a couple of days ago, when we saw the uh, the, the most uh, prominent officer, uh, Brigadier uh, Jamal Fakrush of Kufr Khanna, uh, the most uh, prominent officer within the police ranks, actually he, he, he was, there was some problem with, with, his, uh, with his actions in, in, the, in the field of crime uh, a couple of years ago, and, and now it, it came to the public, and this is why he had to resign uh, from, from his uh, police service. And I think that this, this might create some problems with the credibility of the police in the Arab society. Hmm, interesting. Um, just if we can go go on to the to the politics, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago the, the protests as a result of the uh, the JNF planning of uh, planting trees in the Negev, which led the Ram Party to say that they would no longer be uh, be, be voting uh, with the with with the government. Um, I, I suppose what um, what happens next with the viability of Ram staying in the in in the coalition? I would distinguish between political statements and political practices on the ground. Now, I don't think that the Ram party will give up too soon uh, its role in the coalition. And the reason is is, is very simple. Now, Ram uh, managed to pass the electricity bill. Now, this is an important, this is an important bill passed in the Knesset saying that actually, the, or allowing the, the uh, government actually to connect houses that were built uh, illegally or not according to Israeli uh, legal system to uh, electricity uh, infrastructure. Uh, the majority of, of, these, of these buildings are located in Arab localities, especially in the Negev. So in this sense, in this respect, Ram actually delivered the goods for its constituencies. So I, I don't think that, I think that obviously there are political statements. I, I, thought, I don't think that the Ram party had any other choice other than to go out with such political statements, but the, the, the distance or the gap between these statements and political actions, I think that this is a significant uh, gap. Uh, therefore, I, as, as, uh, as far as uh, things are, are now, as, as we can understand the current political situation, I don't see such a scenario that Ram will, uh, will go out of the coalition. Fair enough, thank you. I mean, uh, the leader of Ram, Mansour Abbas, he made some quite striking comments uh, a few weeks ago, which seemed to kind of equate to, to recognizing Israel as a Jewish state. Quite incredible, as you say, coming from the Israeli branch of the of the Muslim Brotherhood, effectively. Um, I wondered, A, what you made of those statements and kind of what did the Arab public 
make of those comments? Indeed, these are unusual statements, uh, especially so when we take into consideration the identity of, of the speaker. Now, mm. uh, Dr. Mansour Abbas is, uh, is an Islamist by, by orientation. Uh, and and he is is one one of of, of the uh, veteran uh, activists of the Islamic movement since he was a young young boy, and he is representative of the I would say one of the main streams in 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 Arab politics, uh, the Islamic stream. Now, the, I think that the new thing here is the historical or act or or i would say the circumstances it is it is a unique statement in the post nation state law era meaning that this is for the first time that an arab politician actually comes out with such an explicit statement recognizing the fact that israel is a jewish state uh, and almost three years after the passing of the nation state law that actually stipulated the same, the same thing, uh, that Israel is the nation state. Now, uh, paradoxically, or if we judge historically, this is not the first time, this is not a unique uh, statement uh, heard, or heard by a prominent figure of the Islamic movement. Uh, we we have some documented statements of the of the founder actually of the Islamic movement, Sheikh Abdullah, the late Sheikh Abdullah Nimadawish, who recognized uh, the fact that Israel Israel is the, uh, uh, the the state of Israel within the 1967 borders is a fulfillment of of the Jews of the of, of the Jews' right to self determination, and also we heard from time to time uh, similar statements from prominent figures. Of, of, of the political the political layer of the of the Islamic movement. Now, the the new thing again the new thing here is I would say the timing of or, and, and the explicit manner in which these these this statement was was heard, uh, and this is why Mansour Abbas gained uh, large criticism on the part of of uh, politicians from, from the present and the past, and also by uh, another Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, the president of the uh, Palestinian Authority. How, is, how are his comments received amongst the Israeli public, uh, the Israeli Arab public more broadly? I know, I know that, well, it is a tough question because we, we didn't have yet uh, a chance to measure what, what Arab citizens think of Mansour Abbas's statement, but uh, I would say I would say that the Arab public is divided between two main orientation. Now, now, typically, traditionally, we could speak of Arab politics in Israel. Now, today, I think that we can speak of Arab political orientations in Israel. One is what we what we call Ayman Oda's approach, trying trying to actually uh, reinforce the position. Of the Arab parties as leader of the opposition, and the the counter approach is uh, by Mansour Abbas uh, trying to position Arab parties as an effective player in Israeli politics. Now we see that this is not on the part. This is not only on the on the level of Arab parties, but also on the level of the Arab 
of the Arab society in itself. Uh, supporters of the joint list, I would say, I would probably say that they would criticize such statements. While supporters of Ram, of the of Mansour Abbas's party, would be more tolerant about that, as they they tend to rely or or, or be or be more confident with their party's conduct uh, as part of the current coalition. I suppose looking ahead, when it comes to kind of competing in the within the Israeli Arab constituency at the next election. Um, do you think that the Ram party of being part of this government have enough uh, credit going in that they can represent their successes? How do you see that kind of playing out uh, politically within the within the population there? Wow, this is the one million question. And uh, to begin with, to begin with, actually, Mansour Abbas, Abbas uh, came out with the, uh, with, a, with a gambit, with a political gambit last elections. Mm. Uh, now, just to, to remind us all, this is the Islamic movement who 25 years ago, back in May 1996, joined the parliamentary arena for the first time. This was in itself an unprecedented political development. And now they moved one step further. And in this respect, it is a, or it was a political gambit by Mansour Abbas. He, he had, he had all, all good reasons to uh, calculate and, and, uh, and come out with this, with this result, with his decision to join the, the coalition. I think that as long as the coalition and the government has time to fulfill uh, its full term and the Ram party will have some uh, tangible uh, achievements on the grounds uh, in the Knesset and, and outside the Knesset uh, in favor of, of, of promoting the status of Arab citizens, uh, I think that this would play to the hands of the Ram party in the next elections. Uh, it is it is quite a controversial issue. Uh, we know that sure. had the elections had the election taken place today, the overall turnout would be around fifty percent in the Arab sector, meaning that half of the Arab party would still remain at home. But I think that this is this is correct to today's uh, current situation, and we still need time to see what will happen in the future. One final question um, about the Abraham Accords. We saw when they came up for ratification in the Knesset uh, over a year ago now, there was kind of wall-to-wall support amongst the, uh, the, the Israeli Jewish parties, but all the, all the Arab parties at the time when they weren't in the government voted against it. I wonder if, A, if that's changed, and B, if there is an opportunity within the context of the Accords to kind of to promote Israeli Arabs as being that bridge between Israeli society and the Arab world. Uh, first, when the Arbam Accord were approved in the Knesset, well, this was uh, during the era of the joint list, and I would say that the uh, political discipline made them just stray the line and vote uh, against these accords. Now, this is as far as the Arab parties are concerned. As far as, far as the, uh, the Arab public is concerned, I would say that the perception or the conception of Arabs in Israel serving as a bridge for peace between Israel and the Arab world, I think these, it belongs to the past. Today, 
Arab citizens want to enjoy the fruits of normalizations here, of normalization agreements here and now. This is why we see that there is a, a majority, uh, based on some public opinion polls that we conducted in the last year, a majority of our public uh, respondents say that they, they do support the normalization agreements and they wish to enjoy the fruit of normalization. And they think that the agreements in general would, would uh, actually promote their uh, economic status within Israel. On the other hand, we see that uh, a significant majority within the Arab public uh, think that these agreements will not promote or will not facilitate a peace settlement between Israel and the Palestinian, and the Palestinian issue still plays a significant role in the political worldview of many in the Arab sector. We, we need to take this into consideration uh, because the picture is complex. Uh, there are many opinions heard from here, here and then. Uh, all in all, it is a positive development, but still the core issue remains unsolved and it still, it still will, will make some political, I would say, obstacles uh, in, in the, in the uh, maybe in the integration of more our politicians in the, in the government coalition in the future. Thank you so much for your fascinating insight today. Most appreciated. Thank you, Richard. It was my pleasure.